I've been thinking a lot about what church will be like post-COVID. Once vaccines have reached most of us and restrictions on our movements and ability to congregate have been lifted. As you're very aware, there's a lot of this sort of questioning going around in all spheres. Questions like, have many pre-COVID New Yorkers permanently moved outside the city? Will prior patterns of going to the office return or has remote location firmly altered how jobs are conceived? What's the impact on commercial real estate? Will a lot of midtown office towers renovate to partial or complete residential? Can public transportation recover sufficiently so as to resuscitate the city's economy? Will a bustling street life return and when? Packed with restaurants and bars? How about Broadway and Lincoln Center? Have performing artists fled or have they been hanging on and still around ready to re-engage? Honestly, I am bullish on New York. There is a whole lot of pent-up energy ready for release. I expect the city to recover in dynamic form. It will take a little time. And in some ways, the rebirthed city will have been permanently altered. Patterns of change that have been in play for a decade or more accelerated through the pandemic. There's lots of change in the making. Much of it hard to predict but I'm feeling optimistic about the forward flow of 2021. Yes, we have some hard weeks ahead, and we mustn't get lazy about taking necessary precautions. Let's remind one another about this in these next days. Please, please protect one another with your choices and behaviors. For the church in particular, as the Apostle Paul once said, I only see in a mirror dimly. In what number and manner will people return to live church, live programmatic activity and community building? What patterns and routines of religious behavior will reemerge? Among our sister churches, regular giving is down significantly, even if virtual worship attendance is greater than pre-COVID in-person numbers. Evidently, it's not the same if we're not in person, if we're lacking physical content and simply turning into video programming. Just as easy to use a credit card as it was, but apparently not as compelling virtually. A lot of churches won't survive this reality. Yet we all realize that virtual church in some form is here to stay. Just how we'll have to work out. In our particular case, we have the interesting added factor of a completely refurbished sanctuary coming online, hopefully in mid-February. Now, half my brain thinks that our need for physical contact is so pronounced and bereft that people will gladly and regularly return. The other half of my brain wonders if people haven't found alternative routines for Sundays. We've discovered that virtual worship attendance accumulates as the week progresses, meaning people watch when they watch at any point during the week. The guesswork lies in discovering how physical proximity matters for spiritual community and maturation. Basically, the impact on how to 
grow in living our mission going forward, loving God and neighbor. How shall we shape the character of Christ Church 2.0 as it emerges from the rubble of renovation and renewal? How shall we conceive of our rebirth? And here I want to go back to some basics. You'd agree with me that even before pandemic, we were living in a time of great spiritual agitation, our culture rife with spiritual seekers of every sort attempting to make their way to the most fulfilling destination they could as they responded to a deep interior longing. Notwithstanding all the political chatter about evangelical America, many had dabbled in all sorts of spiritual approaches, including ancient esoteric, traditions like astrology and psychic phenomenon, as well as amalgams of Eastern practices and Western science. Every variety of religious expression available at the click of a mouse. Over the centuries, the church often condemned these alternative spiritual means, but, but you know, it, it occurred to me some years ago, rereading the famous story of the wise men's trek to Bethlehem, that Matthew takes a different measure of the integrity of their purpose. From Matthew's point of view, the three magi were authentic spiritual seekers. Even though their methodology was stargazing, they discovered a remarkable truth that transcended their immediate context and led them into alien territory. In a surprising location far from home, they found what they had been searching for in the birth of a child to a young peasant woman in a foreign land. Even Jewish scholars were summoned to confirm the potential in the Magi's quest. From Matthew's perspective, these foreign exotics had better instincts about the nature of the child than most inhabitants of Jerusalem. At the end of their journey, of course, these travelers from the east discovered a truth that transcends all reasonable expectation. Their seeking is honored and rewarded. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew reports a mature Jesus saying this, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. Jesus was addressing a crowded hillside of people, no doubt representing whole, whole lots of different perspectives and life experience. He had no litmus test for their seeking, and after all, Jesus himself was eventually excluded from the accredited list of rabbis of his day, ultimately led to the cross as a condemned traitor to Rome. Those who followed him broke with established religious norms. What he advocated was a radical departure from status quo thinking. Well, this suggests an important corollary for us today. Any seeker, either by chance or authentic pursuit, can lurch into the stable holding the Christ child. I'm thinking that includes persons watching this video. Certainly the church would not exist, but for the simple emergent faith of folks who stumbled into the hay surrounding Jesus' birthing trough. During any given worship service, the attendees likely include a number of persons who could be classified as uncertain as to what their 
looking for, but, but open, rather than say, the fully committed or the truly knowledgeable, maybe even a majority, like those gathered to listen to Jesus on the hillside. And yet, the truth is that among the various amateur spiritualists who attend, maybe some who are better able to kneel at the manger than those who have gawked there for a lifetime. Not every committed Christian in name has a taste for actually kneeling in the dust and muck of a barn in a backwater town in astonished recognition that this is where God prefers to make an entrance rather than more acceptable and presentable venues for the high and the mighty or those esteemed as especially righteous and part of the acceptable tribe. The musty sentimentality with which the story has been swathed for cradle Christians obscures the radical implications in God's condescension to humanity. Everyone has been invited to God's natal party, even those who have been traveling radically different paths on their search for their true home. And those who have visited the manger many times as a matter of rote habit, can sometimes miss the promise held in honest seeking. Surely even the most well-schooled Christian needs regular reminding that no one is above another, that no one has a corner on the truth, and that even the baptized travel a path with many distractions, some leading to disastrous ends with very pious-sounding names. Given the ingrained repetition of this story for many churchgoers, it's worth remembering that this child savior will grow into a man who will say things like, the last will be first and the first will be last. And whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. God's compelling hospitality constantly regenerates the family of faith. The insight that prompted St. Augustine's famous claim that our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee, O Lord, exudes a passionate spiritual modesty that reflects the universal human quest for reunion with the author of our lives and the lover of our souls. In this, I think we are all alike. This is the longing I sense in the famous story of the Magi. This authentic search for truth and reunion with God challenges the assumptions of the first and satisfies the thirst of the last. A church that characterizes such hospitality reflects the radiance of the Christ child and serves as a beacon for all who are restless for their true home. So, however the wider church emerges in the coming year, I'm feeling secure that Christ's church will be among those who stay true to the deepest Jesus wisdom, that no one is meant to be excluded from God's invitation for homecoming, and that like the Magi, we are meant to go into our communities as though searching for the very face of Christ. I am so hopeful that we'll be doing this together 
hand in hand. Rediscovering the disciplines that support communal flourishing and the common good. Walking the talk in real time with real people. Stretching the boundaries of our tribalisms, supported by a generous and caring community. All this bodes very well for Christ Church 2.0.